Well, as I said earlier, we've come to the third week of uh, Advent. And in the first week of Advent, when we lit the first candle, the candle of hope, we were reminded about the importance of hope. We learned that in Jesus, we place our hope. He is the one who guarantees all the promises that God made to us. He guarantees that those promises will all be fulfilled. And I love that one scripture in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. What a beautiful verse. All the promises that that God has made, they are yes in Jesus Christ. He is the one who guarantees all the promises that God has given us. And then last week we learned about the peace that Jesus has brought to us. Once we believe and accept him as Savior, we are, first of all, remember last week, we are at peace with God. That relationship has been restored. And then once our relationship with God has been restored and we have peace with God, we then grow to be at peace with ourselves. And that's a challenge too, but God helps us to do that. And once we're at peace with God and at peace with ourselves, we can then reach out and be at peace with other people. We learned that that's a three-step process and it starts off with peace with God, then peace with ourselves, and only then can we really make peace with other people. Today, we're gonna learn more about biblical joy which is also vital in each of our lives. Now, biblical joy or godly joy goes far beyond momentary happiness. We've all had times in our lives where we were really happy. Maybe when babies were born or when we got that new car or you know, our team won the big game or you won top prize in a raffle. Those are moments of, of happiness for us. But biblical joy is somewhat different. Godly joy is an eager anticipation about wonderful things to come. Let me say that again. Godly joy is an eager anticipation about wonderful things to come that have been guaranteed for us by Jesus Christ himself. And that's what gives us godly joy, biblical joy. It's not a momentary thing. It's not something that just happens instantaneously, but it's a reality that grows in us as God's people. We're a very forward-looking people. We're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ and what lies beyond that. And even when it comes time for us, you know, if time goes on for so long for us to die, we're already looking forward to what's going to happen after that. We know it's been given for all people to die, but we look beyond that. So we can have peace in that and we can have joy in that. Let's turn to Luke chapter two and verse eight. Luke chapter two and verse eight. And of course, uh, joy had a lot to do with Jesus' incarnation. When he was born in Bethlehem, the angels of course notified the shepherds about what was happening And it says in Luke 2, beginning in verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So when the angels informed the shepherds, and the shepherds then went to worship this new king who was just born, it wasn't just the birth that was the source of joy. It was all the things that the birth of this baby was going to bring about in the future. You know, it was great. We should rejoice that God became incarnate, that God became man, fully God and fully man. And this baby was born in the town of Bethlehem. But it's not just that event and that birth. It was about that baby's life, how he would grow up to be a young man, how he would live a perfect life without sin, how he would then eventually go to the cross to be put to death to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole human race. And then anyone who believes in that and has faith in that and chooses this Jesus Christ as their personal savior and redeemer, the doors are open to a future of eternal life for that person. Because they believed, we, we are to become heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what the rejoicing is all about. It's not just that a little baby was born and placed in a manger in the town of Bethlehem. It was the big picture. This is worth rejoicing over, especially to those who become followers of Jesus Christ, who put their trust and faith in him. That's what godly joy is all about. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Now once again, as we saw with hope, as we saw with peace, it's the same case with godly joy. It's not something that we somehow try to muster up within ourselves by thinking good thoughts. It says in Romans 15, Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the joy that we feel is something that God gives us, God grants us, because he is the source of joy. He is a very joy-filled God. You know, for all time, and of course, the existence of God precedes time as we know it on this earth. For all eternity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have lived in a relationship of joy. They're very joyful God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They lived in this relationship, a relationship of joy. And God now wants to share that joy with us. So may God fill you with joy. God is the source of it. 
It is the same joy that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have experienced together for all time. And how do we get this joy? Well, we get this joy when we come to believe. Now, don't expect people who are not Christians out in this world to feel the same joy that you feel. It only comes to us when we become believers, when we put our faith and trust in God. Notice in Galatians 5, once again, when we went through the list of the gifts of the Spirit, joy, of course, is one of the very first ones. Galatians 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the most important one. But right on the heels of love comes joy. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. You have godly joy in you because you have the Holy Spirit in you, because you're a believer, because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, sometimes we don't feel real joyful in our lives. Don't make the mistake of thinking that this joy from God makes you happy every morning and you wake up you know, singing a tune or humming. That's not the kind of joy we're talking about. The joy that we're talking about is a deep assurance of the promises of God, of the promises of me and you individually, of what the future holds for us. Not just this life, because we're living in relationship with God, and that's great, that's tremendous, but it's going to get better in the future, unbelievably better. Notice in Psalm 16, verse 11, reaching back to the Old Testament here for a moment, This psalm writer teaches us something else about joy. Psalm 16 and verse 11. He says to God, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So let me... Talk about the present time for a moment. God fills us with joy in his presence. Where is God today? Well, he's here with us in an important way, in a very personal way. So when we're here in God's presence and in the presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ, God is increasing our joy. As we're hearing these scriptures read and as we're being reminded of God's promises and the assurance of God's promises, our joy is increasing because we're putting our focus where it needs to be, not just in the present, but also in the future and what's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. So you fill me with joy in your presence. Now, over the years in my experience as a pastor and dealing with people, and I've dealt with all sorts of people, I know that when you are not in God's presence, you do not feel the joy in life that you should. You know, if you go for a period of time where, for whatever reason, you don't come to church, and you're not in the presence of God in that respect, and in the presence of your brothers and sisters in Christ, your attitude tends to fade a little bit. (laughs) And you're not focused on God. You're kind of drifting away from God. If you don't study God's word enough, you're kind of in the same trap. 
You're not in the presence of God as you should be. You're not putting yourself in that presence. And you may find your joy fading. And all of a sudden, you're getting discouraged a lot. You're getting depressed a lot. Your attitude isn't what it should be. Maybe you're kind of losing control of your attitude and getting angry with people and impatient with people. You're not in the presence of God. You're not putting yourself purposely in his presence. Now, God is with us all the time, granted. But you have to, and I have to, purposely make the effort, whether it's coming to church, whether it's reading my Bible, whether it's prayer, you're going to find that the more you put yourself in the presence of God, in personal presence, you're going to find your joy increasing. You're going to find your focus on the future and God's reward for you more clearly. The deeper your relationship with God, the more godly joy you will experience. And if you begin to cut off your presence from God, you're not going to enjoy that joy, God-given joy, in the way that you should. You know, Jesus did. When he was here on earth, he is described as a joyful person. You know, it mentions that he came eating and drinking. He enjoyed being around people and having a good time because he was a God-focused man. He prayed to God regularly. He knew the scripture regularly. He was worshiping his father on a continual basis. Now, he was criticized for being that way, maybe by people who did not feel godly joy because they didn't find themselves in the presence of God all the time. But Jesus enjoyed life. He had a joy-filled life because he was in contact with his father continually. The deeper, the deeper your relationship with God, the more godly joy you will experience. Think about that. So we understand now where godly joy comes from. It comes from God because he is a joy-filled God. And he wants us to be joy-filled as well. He wants us to enjoy this life as much as possible in spite of the problems we have, in spite of the trials that we encounter we can still have this joy because we're future focused. Now this type of joy endures in spite of trials. It endures in spite of trials. And this is one of the most confounding concepts to people who are not Christians. You know, you have friends that are not Christians. They know you. And they know from time to time, maybe they've kind of experienced with you trials that you've gone through in your life. And you do not give up hope. You do not go to pieces. Even though it is a struggle, it's not easy to go through trials, they see in you a joy, a confidence in your life. And they experience along with you as you go through this trial. And sometimes people just don't understand how that can be, how that can happen. You know, how can you go through this terrible situation in your life and still have your right mind? You know, how come you're not on a lot of drugs? You know, the, the doctors assist you to get through these trials in your life. Well, sometimes maybe, uh, you know, prescriptions may be necessary. But we rely on God first and foremost. I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. You know, Jesus, when he was on earth, 
who went through many trials in his life. He was constantly being confronted by adversaries, enemies, by Satan himself. He was temp tempted directly by Satan himself. And not even to mention his crucifixion, his arrest, the beatings he endured, and finally his crucifixion. But notice what this verse says here about that and how Jesus could maintain joy. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, notice, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was able to endure the terrible times that he went through leading up to his crucifixion, but even during his earthly ministry, all the persecutions, the encounters that he had. It says he endured the cross, scorning his shame for the joy set before him. So that's how we endure the trials that come along to us, for the joy set before us. Now, Jesus knew while he was here on earth, he knew about his reward, shall I say. He knew what his future was going to be. He knew that he was going to die, but he knew that God was going to raise him from the dead. And he was going to go back to the Father, and he was once again going to be placed and seated at the right hand of the Father. That was the joy set before him. He kept his eyes focused on that future. And so he was able to get through the beatings. He was able get to get through the crown of thorns. He was able to get through the crucifixion for the joy set before him. Don't you see God wants the same from us? What is the joy set before us? Well, if we die before Jesus returns, we're going to be resurrected from the dead. Okay, And we are going to be resurrected different than what we are now. Now we're physical, we're mortal. When we're resurrected from the dead, we are going to have spiritual bodies that will never again die. You know, it, during this life, if we had a handicap that we had to deal with, as so many people do today, when we're resurrected from the dead, that handicap will be gone. Whether it's a physical handicap, whether it's a mental handicap, that will be gone. That is the joy set before us. That is what we focus on, okay? And we're waiting for that time to come. And it will come because God has promised it and Jesus has guaranteed it. So Jesus saw the big picture. You know, he could have focused on the, the pain and, and his death, but he didn't. He not only knew that he would be raised back to life in glory and reinstated at the right hand of the Father, but he also knew that his death and resurrection would allow millions of believers, that's you and me, to become co-heirs with him. That's the joy that kept him going. That's the joy that he focused on. It wasn't just a reward for himself, but he foresaw all of us being called, believing, putting our faith in him, 
And he looked forward to the time in the future when we're all going to receive our reward. We're all going to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's the joy that kept him going through his terrible trials. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, if you will. 1 Corinthians 13. It's hard for us sometimes because our lives are so involved. There's so much stuff happening in our lives today. Not just us, our loved ones, our family members, people we work with, friends and neighbors. It's hard for us to keep our focus on the future. It's hard for us to feel that joy. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, Paul encourages us. He says, now... So in this physical life that we're living right now, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. So talking about that future time when we receive our reward, when we're raised from the dead, when we're exalted alongside Jesus, when we become co-heirs with him, our minds can't really grasp what that's going to be like. He says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror of what that future time will be like. But then, when it happens, when it becomes reality, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So there's a perspective that we fight with in our, our physical lives. Now we only see a vague image of what our reward will be like. But when the time comes, we're going to experience it all in its fullness. And maybe God doesn't go deeper to explain what that time is going to be like for us, because maybe he knows that our human minds and all the limitations that we have cannot really understand it accept it or deal with it, because it is so beyond what we have ever experienced in this life. Isn't there a scripture that says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It hasn't even entered into the human mind what God's reward is going to be like. So if God tried to explain it in more detail, we couldn't handle it anyway. So we feel joy godly joy in anticipation of all the promises of God being fulfilled. Now, happiness is a, a temporary thing. You know, we get happy, we hear a good joke, we hear our favorite song on the radio, maybe it makes us happy for a couple of minutes. And you know, our lives are up and down constantly because happiness is fleeting. But this joy that God has imbued in us is something that is permanent and it doesn't matter what we're going through in our lives at the time. It is always there. What our future is going to be like as God has promised us and as Jesus has brought about through his death on the cross. He has guaranteed it for us because we are believers, because we've accepted him as our personal savior. We feel joy daily. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through tough times, I think about the future. You know, we've had a very bad, rough year in our family, as you all know. We focus on the future. We look forward to God's promises being fulfilled once and for all. Whatever physical handicap we have in this life is just temporary. 
Remember the scriptures back in the, the prophets of the Old Testament talking about the sight of the blind being restored, the hearing of the deaf being restored. People who have been handicapped are going to be leaping like a deer. Those are the promises of God. And no matter what our trial, no matter what our handicap, we look forward to the time when God is going to fix all that. Whatever struggle we have in this life is temporary. Yeah, it's real. It's tough. It is. But it's temporary. Whatever loss we feel because of the death of a loved one is just temporary. We have God's word on that. So let's turn to Philippians 4. How can we have joy? Well, let's make sure we're talking about the right kind of joy. We're talking about godly joy. And it's not a daily thing where we're up and down. It's a permanent thing. Because it's based on the promises of God. And these promises will be fulfilled in each of our lives. Because Jesus Christ has ensured it. He guarantees it by what he has accomplished on our behalf. That gave him joy to get through his crucifixion. Because he looked forward to the time that not only when he was going to be restored, but he was able to foresee all of us being restored and sharing his reward with him. That's what gave him true joy. And as it says in uh, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, as we saw in the video, rejoice in the Lord always. So we have this joy with us constantly. And you know what? Sometimes it's hard to explain to people. They see us going through a trial and they say, how can you be okay with it? Well, it's godly joy. Don't expect people who are not followers of Jesus Christ to demonstrate it in their lives because they don't have it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Not only is he with us and walks alongside of us every day, but his return is near. And all of these promises being fulfilled. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So no matter the circumstances, the joy that we've been given is permanent. Nothing can shake it because it's based on the guarantees of God himself. So as we go through life on a daily basis, think about the future. I don't know about you, but I think about the future a lot. I think about reunions with loved ones. I think about what that's going to be like to share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ, to be co-heirs with him. You know, my mind can go so far and then it kind of shuts down because I can't imagine what that's going to be like. But I know that the day is coming that we're all going to be there and we're going to be saying to each other, can you believe it? It's actually happening. All of the things that the Bible said are happening now to us. And you talk about a time of rejoicing and a time of praising God and we're going to do that for all eternity. That's guaranteed by our Savior Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much. First of all, that you are a joyful God. We can't imagine what it has been like for you to live all eternity in joy. 
and tremendous joy. And we know that it gives you joy not only to create the creation, but especially to create us. We're told in the Bible that this human race is the pinnacle of your creation. And you didn't just create us for a laugh or for fun, but you created us for a purpose. Your goal, Father, is to share what you have with us for all eternity. And we know that that gives you joy, just the thought of what that's going to be like. And you can actually see it in the future. You can see it fulfilled. Help us as we struggle in this fallen world, Father. Help us to keep our focus where it should be. Instead of just getting overwhelmed by the cares and, and the worries of this life about COVID and about the weather and everything happening around us, help us to focus on the future. And that is going to carry us through just as it did Jesus. So Father, more and more with every day, help us to be in your presence in whatever way we can personally and just fill us with your joy because it is something that is so needful in this world today and in our lives. So we thank you and we praise you, Father. And we ask this all now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.